Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for April 23rd of 2021. I'm Ryan Wilson, Penguins writer for HockeyBuzz.com. I'm Cameron Walsh from HockeyHeads.com. This week on the podcast, we are going to recap the recent games against the New Jersey Devils, where the Penguins scored, what, 12 goals? Um, but also gave, gave up seven. Up, gave up seven with six in one of those games. Very wild. Um, <laughs> that one game was pretty wild. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about what lies ahead, because uh, the the Sabres and the Devils are kind of in the rearview mirror, um, at least the, the huge chunks of games against them. So what do they have lying ahead? And then, uh, graciously, we have uh, listeners who have contributed some questions, and we will certainly get to those as well. So let's start with the, the bonkers game. It looked like, you know, things going great. What was it, six nothing, going into the third, or it's six nothing in the third? It was six one or something, I think, and then they reeled off. I don't know. All I know is that it was like the nineteen eighties. I stopped watching. I'm gonna be completely honest. I'm like, all right, I'm good. If they if there's something cool that happens, I'll catch the highlight. Like. You know, I don't have to ride out a, a Penguins-Devils game that's a six, or even if it was a five-goal thing. I'm like, all right, I'm good here. I had some other stuff I had to take care of. Um, but, you know, you got Twitter open, and I'm like, uh, maybe I got to go back. <laughs> it's it's just one of those things where... The, the, you know how when you play a sport, there are times where things just always go your way, right? Usually that, that'll hold for an entire game. I've never seen that kind of a thing flip in the middle of a game. Well, Not even the middle. Period. <laughs> Not even yeah, the middle. In one, in one period and just have everything go right and then everything go wrong in, in such a switch flick. It's just, it's bizarre. I, it was the first time anybody's ever given up that many goals in the third period and still win. I believe just, was the stat. Yeah, yeah. It's it's amazing, isn't it? It's it's like there's been a lot of games where this has happened, where the scores have been ridiculously high compared to the rest of the the games on the day. But it is starting to happen more frequently as we get closer to the end of the season. Um, I think I brought this up a couple of podcasts ago. Darren Millard made that point. He went, I reckon we're going to see a lot more of these kinds of games. Where, well, he basically said where he sees one team get blown out because the other team just doesn't have the legs and the goalie just slightly switched off, right? That's fine. But to actually get 13 goals in a game and have them so clumped as they were, it's just bizarre. It added uh, some spice to the game and made it more interesting. I certainly made my way back. And I loved that the Devils scored with like 40 seconds left to pull within one just because, you know, you know, if the Penguins are going to blow that lead and lose, they deserve to lose. Like, I'm not going to get tied Absolutely. up emotionally if they lose um, that game. As far as, like, a, a fan watching a sport, like, that, <laughs> it made it really interesting. And I appreciated the Devils' comeback. And, you know, the, the positive, though, here, really, is the Penguins, 
put up 12 goals in two games. And that's good no matter who you're playing. So that's the good part. The other good part is they pumped in all the goals the the second the 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 game from last night and only gave up the one. So they made good on their promise to to do it better. Although but hang, would, hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah, how did they do it better? They they did it slightly better, but not to how the perception is like. The real problem was Tristan Jari. He was a complete tire fire in the first game. He did a really nice job the second game, although they did, uh, I think Andreas Janssen had multiple posts on him that could have, you know, posts could go either way at any point in time. Yeah. Uh, the Penguins did give up less expected goals against, I believe it was .66 in the 5-1 game, and it was uh, like .8-something in the uh, the first one. Now, just on that, is if it's is that a big change? Because like that's obviously it's a point something to a point something, right? Yeah, it's not like enormous. Right. So you couldn't get there and go, look, we just, we just took point two off what we gave up. This is fantastic. So it's not that this point nine eight. I was wrong. I put it in my blog today. Um, yeah. So point six six to point nine eight. They. You, Oh, so what's that saying is the point nine eight is they should have given up one goal, not six. <laughs> Tristan Jari was terrible. Is <laughs> really all it, that that was the story. The other story was Mike Sullivan going back with him, and I, uh, and this isn't a hindsight thing. I liked that choice before the game on Thursday because. It's one of those situations in sports where even when I'm coaching and I have a player that does something absolutely moronic on the ice or totally fucks up, everybody already knows the player fucked up, right? You don't need to, like, say it or, like, punish them. No one's going to punish themselves, a player that cares about their performance. Nothing you can do is worse than the how they feel bad about doing it for the rest of their teammates. Right. That's very true. Yeah. Like you're talking about a true athlete, which I do believe the almost a hundred percent NHL players are that way. So Tristan Jari knows he fucked up, right? I don't think you're going to have to tell him. (laughs) So you go back with him, and it sends a positive message. We know you screwed up. You know, you screwed up. Let's make it right. And he got the opportunity to make it right, and he did. And I think that's really good coaching. Because if he comes out and lays another egg, and this did happen earlier in the season, you go back with DeSmith. DeSmith has had a really good year. You're fine. You gave your guy a chance, though, and the player knows he was given a chance. Whereas you... Don't go back with him. DeSmith has a really good start, and now you're like, well, I guess i got to go back with DeSmith again. And now you're letting your other guy stew on it. And who knows what that does mentally um, over time. You know what I mean? Confidence-wise, things like that. So I thought it was good to just get that out of the way quick. 
and it was a best case scenario. He he did a really nice job and only gave up a goal. The Smith is you know he's been in a backup role for the majority of well, his entire NHL career, so no skin off his back to let Jari go back there. You know what I mean? So the other thing I think the message that it sends is Mike Sullivan is leaning towards Jari as the playoff goalie. He's going to give him. Yes, every, that was. He, he's going to give him every chance to make right here, just like he tried yeah, to do was... in the beginning of the year. Yeah, it's it's not like um, it's not like over in Vegas where they are literally going game on game off for each goalie. It's you can tell he's gone. Jerry's their guy. What they do, what is handy, is that they do know that the Smith can actually be good enough to have the team win a series if they need to which is the one bonus of them both coming out of the slump at the start of the year as well as they have. Um, because that's probably the first terrible game that Jarry's had in forever. And to be honest, almost every goalie has one stinker in a playoff series. If you lose if you lose 2-1 or you lose 6-1 or whatever, it's still just one loss in a playoff series. So the fact that Jarry came back after the really shit show to to give up what he gave even though it was only against the devil's team it still showed that he had the mental fortitude to work it out get his shit together and uh, make sure he made the saves so that's a positive sign for the team moving forward agreed and another positive sign Kasperi Kapanen back in the lineup Uh, I did not peg him to be the first one back between Malkin and Tanev at the at the very beginning of all the injuries uh, but after... I kind of, did the, well, I don't actually know what's wrong with Tanev. I thought he would be back first, but I, I had no idea what Tanev's actually. He's got done. a shoulder something. He's got upper body something. He's skating. If he's got like if he's got shoulder something, and with what he play, and how he plays, that could be really problematic. Yeah. So my well, I think it's a shoulder something. They said it's upper body. I think his original injury was his shoulder. He is right. skating, but you don't skate with your uh, shoulder rotator cuff. So <laughs> I I think he's they're going to try to keep his conditioning up, even though he, he might not be able to actually play um, in, a, in a regular game right now. So yeah. Malkin was skating at practice in a non-contact jersey, so that continues to be a positive. He'll probably make his way back before the end of the regular season. Uh, that's my hope. I think he what does need Kat? to get some games in. I agree with you having them having to get him on the ice, but are they going to be able to fit him in with a cap? Because I feel like they're Tampa Baying this. No, no, they're not. It's not like that. They're good. All they added was Carter and Tanev's out. Yeah, I so. suppose so. Oh, yeah, with Tanev being out as well. Yeah. I reckon he'll play the last two against Buffalo. Oh, going to play any team to get ready for the playoffs after being hurt. Might as well get a skate in against a team that's uh, probably ready to call it a year. Um, although they've been playing better, obviously. Um, we'll foreshadowing to one of our questions. And um, I, I was impressed by Kapanen. I think he had a foot fracture. Uh, that's not official. Kapanen leaked that it was a foot injury, and considering his injury was from the puck hitting his foot, 
Uh, I'm putting two and two together there. For him to have that jump and that speed, very encouraging. It shows me he's completely over the injury, and the only thing to do now is navigate his conditioning. And he started on the fourth line and worked his way to the third line before the end of the game. So, so far, so good. So, I don't know how I would approach trying to get Kapanen his conditioning coming off this, off the ice, right? I don't know how I would go about approaching trying to get his legs back up to speed. As a coach, like, they obviously eased him into this game. From here on out, would you try and get him a couple extra minutes than what he normally would just to try and get some sustainability in his... Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not the next game, but I would start ramping it up. Yeah. And I think he did mid-game. You know, I'm on Mike Sullivan... For not being, you know, the best in-game manager at times. Mm-hmm. I thought he did a good job getting Kapanen in some more ice because he noticed he was skating good. And why not? If he's showing you he can do it. It's not like he was playing top six minutes. Uh, I thought it was a good job. Cool, 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 cool. Um, you know, the other thing, and it's easy... I feel like we gloss over him a lot because it's just obvious, but Sid's having a great year. Yes, yes, it's um, it's a, it's a little embarrassing in that sense that it's just taken for granted. Well, it is, <laughs> because he's done it for like 15 years. He's got 54 points in 46 games. He's 19 goals. Great defensively. He he wasn't very good defensively last year, um, uncharacteristically. And he's bounced right back. People are talking about him for the Selkie. Um, I haven't done any Selkie research, I'm going to be honest. There's probably players that are more deserving than Sid, but the fact his name's in that conversation, and he's got the 54 points, that's pretty good. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like you look at it and I think to myself in my head, how does Patrice Bergeron not get it every single year, right? Generates a, a fuck ton of offense and shuts down the best players in the league. You go, all right, well, that to me is pretty much the, the best only guy that can shut Sid down. Yeah, but you sit there and go, he's the only forward that produces enough offense that warrants the whole idea of, well, what's his defensive ability like? Oh, it's absolutely freaking amazing. So if you're going to give it to Sid, I just couldn't because of Bergeron. Because I just think he does what the definition of the Selkie is better than Sid, which is a forward that is, you know, ridiculously good on the defensive side of the puck. And Sid has been great this year, but it's still not as good as Bergeron. And ah, like you'd you... be surprised. They're about even. Yeah. For this well, year. Yeah, but that's, and that's the thing. Like, it's a yearly, it's a yearly award. So you sit there and you hear that, and I go, "Yeah, I don't know. I still reckon I'd probably give it to Bergeron because people." And it's interesting. I don't think these people look at the numbers enough. The people that actually get to say this is the award they're I get, want to give—they're getting a little better. And I feel like they would just go. There'll be those that'll go, oh, we'll give it to Sid because it's Sidney Crosby. And then there'll be others that'll go, well, we'll give it to Bergeron because historically he's been the better of the two. And I'm like, you can't do it that way. It has to be that encapsulated season. What they've done what, previously uh, doesn't matter. 
I'm looking at Jay Fresh's um, player charts for. Uh, they're they're the three year charts, but they have the graph of the last three years, the line graph. Yep. And it's got offensive, defensive, and finishing. What if I told you Sidney Crosby's percentile for defense was about eighty-ish, eighty percent, and Bergeron was like seventy-three, seventy-four. Really? Yeah. So See, so that's me using my historical bias to give it to Bergeron and not Sid. I mean, that's a reasonable bias. <laughs> I mean, that's not an outrageous assumption. Um, to, to he's closer put... than I. He's closer than I thought. Basically, is the best way to put it for Sid. He's certainly Sid's above him. No, no. What I mean is, in regards to the the hubbub and buzz about him actually having a crack at getting the award, he's closer to it than I would have expected. Put it that way. I wonder who's actually near the top with that. Um... Wonder like Brian O'Reilly is a player that he's getting older. Oh yeah, he's he's up there. Brian O'Reilly's still a damn good player. He's way he's higher. It's not quite ninety, but it, it, and that's not the only metric to use. I don't mean no, it, no, it's no, just no, a nice snapshot that. that I like to look at because you know life gets in the way of researching these mundane <laughs> like you know i i'm not gonna lie i'm not gonna be pouring hours of research into the selkie uh i've cared less and less about the award winners as years have gone on um just because they've been gotten wrong so many times it's like why should i even care yes is this absolutely. player good or are they not that's all i care about they care about the awards and i understand that but me, I used to care more, put it that way. But anytime Sid wins, I do enjoy that because he does deserve every single accolade he gets. And, you know, one thing that Sid did, scoring in that first minute, it's it was probably really nice to be Tristan Jari and get that goal support right away, put you at ease a little bit. I always wonder what it would be like as a goalie. To be in that situation that he was in, or for any goalie in that situation, it's like you've just had an absolute tie fire of a game. You know, you know, you know, you know what you're doing. Yet, how do you know it's not going to all fall apart again the next game? I think goalies have to be the mentally toughest athletes floating around out there because that so are much hinges. Well, yeah, that's a very good point, actually. Yeah, it's one or the other. You're absolutely right. It's one end or the other. I think a lot of them are goldfish, and they do a good job of blocking things out, uh, both physically and mentally. <laughs> yes, it's a very good point. Um, so, trying to think if there's anything else. Uh, the McCann, Carter, Zucker line, uh, I thought it was their most pedestrian game was actually the one last night. But overall, pretty good. Jeff Carter's been really good and i think it's a really good pickup and the more time goes the the more i i've really liked it for all the reasons that i said at first but it's just really nice to see him have the skating ability that he does because i wasn't really anticipating him being able to move quite like that anymore 
Thought he'd have the hands. Thought he'd have the hockey IQ. Those are still there. Thought he would shoot. He will. Uh, but the ability to move around, very. That'll come in handy. He's got a half a step. I thought he'd lost. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's reasonable to think at 36, like, that he, you know, he wouldn't be that fast anymore. Uh, but maybe it's just the Kings make you look that slow, the way they play. That, that's, I was, that was what I was thinking. I was like, when they got him, it was like, he's lost a step. But I didn't even think that the Kings might just have it that slow that you just can't get to top gear because they just don't let, with how they want to play. They just don't let you get out. And I'm like, who wouldn't want to let their horses run? And then you go, oh, it's the Kings. It's a good chance that that's the case. A King no more. He, <laughs> um, he should have more opportunities to strike in transition, I guess. He's already mm. burned two defensemen wide in the handful of games he's been a Penguin. I wasn't expecting him to dust people, so... No, nor was I. That was a pleasant surprise, and when they get Malkin back, it'll push Jankowski the hell out of there. I don't think Jankowski will be a regular in the playoffs unless they run into injury trouble, although I wish they would have traded him at the deadline for a roast beef sandwich that fell on the floor or whatever. I don't really care. I would have got well, rid of if he's if he's not on the roster, he can't play him. I understand the point. <laughs> so, um, anything else before uh, we jump into some of the questions? No, no, no. Let's let's see what the uh, wonderful people have to ask. All right, Jeff Rose is going to get the first one here because I we owe it to him. He he asked the question last week, but I didn't notice it until it was too late. Uh, so at J E F E eight one zero, I tweeted this a few weeks ago, but I genuinely love to hear both of your takes on Ralph Krueger and Buffalo. I'm a Western New York guy like Ryan, and I'm baffled by how he was able to make his players look so bad. Love the pod, guys. Uh, well, thank you, Jeff. And, yeah, Ralph Krueger, what a fucking terrible job. I don't know how else to put it. An all-time horrible job on a team that wasn't going to be great to begin with, and people were already like conditioned to, like, yeah, they got Taylor Hall and stuff like that. But he surpassed any expectations of horribleness. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, not only passed him, like, smiled as he's looking through the rearview mirror, hitting the accelerator. Horrible coach. Horrible coach. And I liked the hire because it was outside the box. Um... And because the Sabres kept going with like retread stuff. And if you're the Sabres, you might as well try something like really different problem with going outside the box is you're outside that box and not everything outside the box is good. Sometimes it's Ralph Kruger and he made every skilled player on that team suck the life out of them and made them play this 
systematic drone-like hockey that was not even successful. The worst case scenario. You tank the the ability to score. You don't do anything about the ability to prevent. And in, in my opinion, the worst part of it all, you make your fans watch that bullshit when it's an entertainment product. Nothing about the system was entertaining. He made some of the... Taylor Hall is not that far removed from being an MVP player, and you can talk about his decline or whatever from that year. He is nowhere close to being as unproductive as he was as a saver. As you can already see with the Bruins, he's doing much better. Jack Eichel is one of the best hockey players on the planet, period. No questions asked. Wasn't getting results this year. Jeff Skinner scored 40 goals a few years ago. He should still be a 25-goal guy. Skating is still wonderful. He consistently played him on the fourth fucking line with a bunch of dusters and wondered, why no Jeff Carter score? That's what he's supposed to do. God damn. Anyways. I, I know it seems obvious, but it feels like it's a case of overcoaching. <clears throat> he understood the flaws that he had in the team and tried to systemically reduce all of those flaws. And I, I think it, I think it's been clear on this podcast, you and I would prefer teams to lean into their into their skills. So using Pittsburgh as an example, their, their best players are fast and highly skilled players. Lean into that. Get support players around them that can help them um, uh, expose and expand on those skill sets. That's generally what I would like to see happen. Kruger got there and went, I can see all of these holes here, but my top end guys, I, I don't care that their skill sets are going to obviously help create offense. So he just shut the whole thing down. It, it, it reminds me back to when you gave the quote about Carter, how he said he came out, was overthinking too much in the first period, then stopped thinking and just played, right? Feels like the Sabres, every time something went wrong, while they were trying to play catch up to go get the puck back, they were thinking about the error they made rather than just playing the sport. It's that one hundred percent happened. Yeah, I that, have, I have well, a middle stat, middle stat. Yeah, that's what I'm looking up right quote? now. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's one of those things where you, for a sport that you and I say it's very very hard to X and O it, here is a coach that tried to X and O it to the minute degree, and look what happens when you do. And you know, I've. I've made the comparison before to AFL football over here, It you can X and O it so much, but because the game is 360 degrees and it's such an organic sport because the ball is obviously not around, it's really, really hard to, as a coach, to maintain control of what goes on. You have to allow your players room to make decisions and do stuff outside of whatever game plan you have feels like Kruger gave the players no wiggle room at all. Have you got that quote? I do. Go for it. I think guys are playing looser, making plays with the puck, and not worrying about making mistakes. Some of those mistakes can be fixed with hard work, and we've been doing a good job of that. The mistakes are less and less when you start to make more positive plays and get more confidence on the ice. feel like we've done well defensively, keeping a lot of shots to the outside. Um, and he finished with, this has been my best stretch as a pro hockey player. I think it goes to not being scared to make a mistake and go make plays. 
For me, it's just going out, having fun, playing my game. It's been good for me, Tej, and Rasmus Asplund. And I can't agree more with Middlestad, who, you know, he he has his own issues uh, not related to Ralph Kruger through his development. Um, but when you got a coach who clearly does not respect the skilled players unless they're doing everything defensively perfect, you've just neutered them. You're talking about a sport where you have to make a ton of split-second decisions all the time. And now they're second-guessing them because you've drilled into them that they need to do this, they need to do that, blah, blah, blah. Just let them rock and roll sometimes. Sabres do have some players that are really skilled. And, you know, they need more of them, obviously. But, <laughs> you know, I like seeing Middlestat showing a pulse after this coach is gone. Because his, his puck skills are outrageously good. And it just hasn't translated to the NHL yet. But at this little stretch, I think the Granado, who's coaching them now, is, yeah, go make the plays that you're, you can do best with and we'll figure the rest out. And now he's being more assertive in making those plays. And I think the player that this has um, been most true for is Rasmus Dahlin. And to the point where Rasmus Dahlin looked so bad this year, you have pe- some people in the Buffalo market talking about, do we really want to give him his next contract? Do we Maybe do we trade him? And... You know, my answer to that is no, <laughs> no. Uh, probably not, because if he goes somewhere that is and he they can foster him in a better environment, you're going to be like, fuck. <laughs> and you're already <laughs> seeing it, though. Even against the Penguins, some of the plays he's making where he banks the puck off the boards in the neutral zone, goes in, does a curl and drag and almost um, scores. Um, he's. He, do you remember his highlight reels coming into the league, on, on, like the Swedish stuff? Yep. He looked like a forward, didn't he? Yep, he did. Well, guess what? He's starting to look like a forward again, and that's what he needs to be. His, his defending needs to get better. But at the same time, Kruger ruined him. His defending is never going to be his strong suit. And you clipped his wings, and the reason you drafted him number one overall wasn't to be some fucking stay-at-home defenseman. He's supposed to fly out there, lead the rush, join the rush, be a fourth forward out there. And I'm really happy to see him play. And it looks like he's starting to enjoy doing some of those things again. I happen to like watching him play when he's doing that. And um, I I hope it continues. I hope um, yeah, it's my local market, so I see quite a bit of it, even if it's... Yeah, you don't want to see garbage. <laughs> well, growing up, I did hate the Sabres. I didn't care. Uh, but, but you're a kid. You're supposed to hate them if they're not your team. 
Yeah, but they were supposed to be my team. <laughs> but you went the right way. You walked the right path. It's okay. I did. I certainly did. Um, <laughs> but, you know, less, less and less is, is my team allegiance and more just players and situations and stuff like that. So, um, Jeff, I hope I did right by your question there. Um, Ralph was, uh, like Cam said, over analyzed positioning and, and, and just played a non flow. Like it just sucked the life out of that team. And you can obviously see that they've gotten much better since he left. Still not does great. make it, it does make it hard for the general manager now though. You can see that this team is nowhere near as bad as what they were. Now you've got to work out which of these players you expect to keep improving the way they have since the coaching change, and how steep is that improvement curve right. of those players? I'll quickly that's go not an down easy, that line. That's, that's not an easy one as a general manager because you get a couple wrong, and you lose your job. <laughs> All right, Dylan Cousins, he's going to be great. R2 Rustalainen got called up from Rochester. He's got a little bit of potential to be a depth player. Casey Middlestat, an obvious one. Rasmus Asplund, kind of a depth player. Um, Darlene. Tej Thompson. He's entering the territory where he'd he best uh, get his shit together um, to I make that like. happen. But what they need to do, Kyle Oposo. I know they can't move the contract, but you don't have to play him. Yeah, that's true. Um, <clears throat> Cody Eakins, the Jack Johnson version of forwards in the league, can't play him. <laughs> I'm being serious, too. He's that bad. So there are players they just got to stop playing. Play Sam Reinhardt at center. Which he was a center when he got drafted, but then they're like, well, I don't think he can play center at the NHL level. And then just never tried it. <laughs> Sam Reinhardt, underrated. Very, very, very good player. So if you can go Eichel, Reinhardt, Cousins, Middlestat, they're all, they can all play center. Yeah. Go find some wingers. They don't even have to be, like, superb. You got four four lines, and in situations, load up. Yeah. If you want to load up Cousins on Eichel's line or something like that, um, if you want to bump Reinhardt to Eichel's line late in the game, sure, do that. But they do have some centers here that are capable if they keep playing Reinhardt in the middle, and I think that would be a smart thing to do, so... And get rid of fucking Rasmus Ristolainen. I mean, it's uh, that's the biggest. How many Rasmuses you need on the fucking team? First off, <laughs> that that I think I remember when he didn't get moved when. Uh, oh god, what's his face? Botterill. Yeah, when Botterill didn't move him, I remember you saying to me, "You've gone." Yeah, I don't know if he's that good a GM. If you're not going to move him when his value is high, I don't know if he actually understands what wins a game. Yeah, he, uh, you know, I blame the Pagulas for the shitty O'Reilly trade, even though Botterill should have, you know, been a more assertive and 
or even aggressive and being like, no, this is a really bad idea. But the Ristolainen thing, you know, I I got on pretty good sources that, yes, Taylor Hall, it's funny, ironically enough, Taylor Hall became a saver. But back in Euler days, Taylor Hall for Ristolainen was the thing that was uh, Tim Murray turned down. Nikolai Ellers from Winnipeg, I believe Botterill turned down. Oops. Oh, good God. Whoopsie. That's uh, some high value there. Yeah, so... Well, now you got him. And I think he's got still got, what... Is he a free agent? No, of course he isn't. <laughs> he's got one more year. Uh, yeah. He sucks. He stinks. Um, yeah. So, and good luck, like, attracting free agents. That's a rough one. Anywho, it's a lot on the Sabres. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What next? Which where, which which path do you want to walk down? I'm just going in order of how I favorited them. Uh, Chris McCauley, CDM, McCauley, 67. How much faith do you have the goaltending will keep the Penguins in the playoffs? Um... No more or less than any other team running a 1A, 1B situation. How many goalies are are really out there that you have total faith in? Not a Vasilevsky. ton. <laughs> yeah, Vaz is one. Like, I wouldn't even put Carey Price in there. Even though he obviously played well against the Penguins in the playoffs last year. Or, sorry, play-ins, whatever the fuck you want to call them. Um, Connor Hellebuck is great. Uh, I mean, there's there's very good goalies out there, and so so look at the teams that are leading their divisions. Toronto, not going to trust their goaltending, right? No, not Washington, at all. still not exactly sure about Washington. Uh, Carolina, I'm not a huge, I'm not bullish on Washington's goaltending. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, and then Carolina, it's kind of the same deal. Right, and then you get there and you look at Vegas and you go, well, I like the, Vegas is in a good situation. They're yes. way overpaying on goaltending. They have two very good goaltenders there now, and yes, I'm calling Flurry very good because he's having a great year. That's factual. Have been. I mean, just, there's no I denying just, the year that Flurry's had. So I don't, I don't have. to to do that <laughs> but when it, when it comes to, when it comes down to trusting it though i sit there and i go well he, Vasilevsky he got him to the final those, yeah he did like Vasilevsky is not even in any of those four teams that we looked at because i just looked at the teams leading their divisions right even colorado who's second nobody trusts the goaltending there Bauer's fine so, it's past that that's and but they still don't seem to trust him anyway and once you get into the playoffs the schedule, I would think, returns to a little more normal of what you expect at the playoffs, which is game on, game off, game on, game off, right? We're not going to have many back-to-backs, I don't think. So if you do have one guy that you want to go with, Groovy's going to be the guy, obviously, for Colorado. Damn, Cam, you're being a little rough on the man. He's got 920 all situations this year. I understand <laughs> you that. You want me to go I... backwards? 920, watch... 916, yeah. 917, 923, you 926, watch... 918, 920, 925. 
watch the games and and watch it with Twitter. And the Colorado fans that I follow that I trust in regards to they don't just eyeball it; they sort of do a combo of both. I don't think they entirely like this is the fans, right? They don't entirely trust him. Is more my point. Well, and they're terrified that he won't stay in one piece. Tell me, tell me what don't tell me about Hart and Eric Parnas think about it. I'm sure they're fine with him. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you, no, no, you're you're right. He does have to stay healthy for them. They but... don't need any goaltending. They just need not a tank job, right? Like well, they don't need anything do special. Don't... They're fucking yes. amazing. But that that's the thing. It's like you go. Carolina doesn't need anything amazing. Florida don't. Tampa don't. Vegas and Colorado don't need anything special. Like Washington, uh, Pittsburgh, Edmonton, and Islanders. Mike Smith, like okay, I, yeah, no, I'd rather Washington, have Tristan Jari. <laughs> yes, Washington, Pittsburgh, and the Islanders don't need anyone special. Boston don't, and they do have somebody who's special. Even their backup's then, not half bad, although oh, I think fuck Herlock, yeah. And then you go Toronto. I don't think needs goaltending at all, as in they could win it all with below average. Nah, Winnipeg it's do been have somebody below special. Average, though. Huh? Toronto's been below average, though. Yeah, but they've still been winning. And then you go Edmonton and Montreal. You know, Montreal would need Carey Price to elite Carey Price. I don't know if he's got that left in him. So, to answer the actual question, I'm comfortable with Pittsburgh's goalies. I'm as comfortable as any of these these other teams. Both both goalies have shown some really nice stretches. Both goalies are certainly susceptible to blowing it, but you know that's the life of pretty much every playoff team outside of a handful. So um, we're gonna stick with the playoffs and Derek JC. So at Derek J Callow. Who is the potential best worst matchup? I assume he's talking playoffs with the Penguins. Uh, what do you think? A worst is definitely Boston. I've been writing that I don't want to play Boston train for a while now. And that Agreed. is literally literally because of the Bergeron line and literally because the coaching staff won't move away from it. Um, after that, I don't think I'm really worried about anybody else in the division. Like, worried I think he's not pushed me to the point where it's the others aren't as big a concern yeah it's it, this is not the same as saying that Washington or the Islanders cannot beat the penguins that is clearly not what we're saying <laughs> yep but Pittsburgh's done a number on the Islanders this year um, Washington is always a great series. I wouldn't mind seeing that. I'm kind of actually hoping for that again. I think Washington's a little bit slower than the Penguins, even though they're kind of the same age bracket. Yeah. Which I think is um, helpful for Pittsburgh. But again, to your Boston point, we talked about it when you started talking about the Southie stuff. Um, 
Patrice Bergeron can and will neutralize Sidney Crosby in a way, not that Sid won't get his over the course of a playoff series. Like, I don't think he'd be totally shut down unless he had a nagging injury or something like that. But... I don't. I don't want any piece of that. Do you like that? That Bergeron line is insane. Yep, correct. Oh, by the way, they have a second line now that they didn't have before, because Taylor Hall is with Krejci, and I believe Craig Smith, who's always been a pretty decent goal scorer at even strength, he was having a down year, and so was Taylor Hall, and so was Krejci. Put them all together, and you know. I think they'll be okay. Then the Bruins just have to hope Charlie Coyle and Jake DeBrusque um, play a little bit better. And they're good. They actually, you know, Taylor Hall was obviously the big addition, and that's huge. But they got Curtis Lazar, who's a capable fourth-line player for depth. So Boston addressed high-end need for scoring with Hall, depth at forward with Lazar, and I believe they got Mike Riley from Ottawa for puck-moving defensemen because they've been kind of thin back there. McAvoy's back, Grizzlick's back, and Tuka Rask is the goalie. So, hey, no thanks to that. Yeah, I'd, I'd like somebody else to do that hard work for the Penguins, to be honest. I, yeah, they're, they're out of the, the three teams that they're going to have to try and beat to get through to playing whichever other division it is they play against. I don't want to have to do it against Boston. I would prefer if, if Pittsburgh played the Islanders and then played Washington, then played Washington in the second round. That would be my preference. I like that you said I prefer somebody else to do their their dirty work for them or take care of their business because there is an alternate timeline when the fucking Toronto Maple Leafs don't blow their <laughs> their four nothing or was it four nothing? It was four nothing. Isn't that the I meme? think so. Yeah. If Toronto wins that series, the Bruins do not face the Penguins in the 2013 Eastern Conference Finals, and we might have gotten the Blackhawks-Penguins. Yeah, which would have been great, considering... I think, I think the Hawks might have rolled the Penguins that year. Yeah, but it would have been good hockey, though. That's the thing. Maybe not, though. You reckon? Sid was coming back from the jaw stuff. Oh, he was too, yeah. So that was a, you know, different timeline that I think people forget. Like they, they remember the sweep obviously, but don't maybe connect that. That was the year that they should have lost to the Maple Leafs. Yeah. And they didn't. And so there's that. Um, let's see. Next one from Travis at Travis eight Oh seven. What do you think of Bob Erie's comparison of Teddy Bluger to Nick Bonino? Bob Erie aside, laughing emoji. <laughs> yeah, Bob's a goofball. Um, uh, well, I think Bluger is entering the age bracket where Bonino started putting up more points. 26, 27 years old. I think Bluger will be 27 maybe in September or something like that. And, you know, 
the point production increasing at the same timeline is a little bit similar. I don't think there's too much else similar about them. I don't think Nick Benino is known for being able to move around too quick. Nope. Uh, He makes up for it with... uh, He's got great hockey IQ, very good passer, understands awareness. Um, Bluger has never gotten the same opportunities Benino had at the same part of their careers. Uh, I think Bluger's having a wonderful year, and I think... um, Oh, where did I see this? I want to give proper... uh, I feel like he's jumped the depth chart. Danny from... uh, Penn's blog, Shuri Irving, I believe, uh, had people guessing who was the Penguins' third best uh, goals above replacement or war, I forget which one. And it was Bluger. It was McCann, Crosby, Bluger. He's having a great year. And It it feels like he's sort of... I know they play different positions and whatnot, but it feels like he's jumped Zach Aston Reese. And he's he's pushing himself up to be that tweener, put him in the top six, put him in the in the bottom. Six. You know what I mean? Like it feels like he's he's gone from being a fourth line guy to now being somebody that's trying to Brian Rust his way into the top six, which is a good thing. He'd have to do it at wing, and I'm not against him playing wing um, if you wanted to do that in a pinch. Uh, but you, if you have him as a fourth line center with Aston Reese and Tanev, and it's a fourth line, that has more of that that has potential to having a championship caliber depth, especially with Jeff Carter there now. Yes. But let's say you lose Kapanen or Rust. Hopefully not Rust. Jesus, that would not be good. <laughs> no. He's really turned into a special. Um, player for them, which out of nowhere, really, he's always a fine player. It's not usually when you're pushing 28 years old, you you you, you take off. Playing with Sid no, helps, very, but particularly this sport, it's it's not good for the late bloomer. This sport, and you could always move Carter to the right wing and bump Bluger up. Uh, they're the reason I'm more bullish on the Penguins uh, now than at the beginning of the year is they, they really, with the Carter edition, have some... And with Bluger taking the steps that he has, Kapanen being decent, got some options here. Just can't be playing the Seaviers, the Jankowskis, and all that other rubbish. Uh, and hopefully they aren't. So um, I can see where Bob was going with it. Just as in Bluger's coming on, he's third-line caliber center um, competent. I just don't think he's going to get the same opportunities as Benino. Not in Pittsburgh. Certainly not going to get Phil Kessel on his wing and Haglin on the other and form an iconic (laughs) line. Uh, No fault of Bluger, but that's just the way things are shaking out right now. And they use them way differently. HBK, offensively-minded line, offensive zone starts. Gabe Crosby the hard minutes that year. Bluger sucks up a lot of defensive zone face-offs. So the usage is way different. And that's what makes Bluger's offense this year so impressive is 
he's being put into some precarious starts to all of his shifts, and he's still making it work. He obviously doesn't play the power play. Uh, he did score a shorthanded goal Thursday. It was nice, too. And, um, I mean, it's a Bob Erie comparison. I mean, you laughed at it <laughs> in your question, so... Um, I get what he's going for, but that's my take on it. Best thing for Pittsburgh is that he stays fourth line the rest of the year. Might not be the best thing for his like career path and development in regards to finding more minutes, either in Pittsburgh or elsewhere, considering that... I would call it a 3B. So. I'd yeah. give him a little more respect than that, because he'd still get more minutes than a classic fourth line. Yeah, but if you look at it five on five, he's only going to get fourth line minutes at five on five. That's the because he makes his minutes up on the on the penalty kill, and that's and I mean, fine. That's where Jeff Carter's going to make his minutes up as well, I suppose. Hey, it's nice injury um, insurance to have a Carter there in case. So yeah. um, it just highlights it highlights the opportunity point you made though. Yeah, Benino was the third line guy. Was always going to get a minimum of twelve minutes, at five on five. And pretty good line mates, given the depth. Yeah, and, and Blue doesn't have time on. Because <laughs> if Genny Malkin's going to pull Scott Wilson around the ice, true. This is they very always, true. They always give Gino like somebody that has no business being there. Max Talbot being one of those guys, but to a, uh, you know, Max obviously not Scott Wilson clearly, but. Um, Gino always gets the, the left-wing scraps. Uh, I think the only time he didn't was Ryan Malone back in 08. That's true. Unless you he want to count Sakura, but I don't know if Sakura was on the left side or the right side. I feel James like he was... James Neal's a righty, isn't he? Neal's a righty. Yeah. I think Sakura was, too. He must be, because yeah. I thought the line was Malone... Malkin Sakura. Well, is Fedotenko a lefty then? Yeah, it was Fedotenko. He not bad. I love Fedotenko. I think it's from back in the when they when he won it with Tampa, you know, in pre lockout. Yeah. So did you have any? I got one more. Um Oh, we've got the the decor question or the league MVP question? Oh, I didn't even see the league MVP one. So, league MVP question is McDavid, Kane, or the field? And that's from Marty. McNulty for Prez. McDavid, who? Kane. Patrick? League? Doesn't specify, but my assumption is Patrick. Not Evander, I'm assuming. <laughs> I don't think it matters as far as the question. I don't think it matters who is in the field. It's Connor McDavid. It's he's playing for the Oilers. They're making the playoffs and he is going bonkers this year. Now, I have I um have slight issue with the North Division. So, you know, I think if Connor was playing all the teams in the league, it wouldn't be going as well, but 
it would still be going awesome and he'd still be an MVP candidate. He has 77 points in 45 games. Yeah, that's kind of okay. <laughs> he is above and beyond leading in in this regard. I know points aren't everything, but they mean a lot. And he's at a 1.71 points per game pace. Hasn't happened since, I don't know, Mario Lemieux probably. Probably a penguin. And not <laughs> and not the current ones. Talking Yager and Mario. It's been a fantastic year for him. And I'm just going to pull up the... It does kind of highlight how uneven that Edmonton team is, though. Yeah, it's built like shit. And and as a Penguins fan, we all need to remember how lucky we were that the Penguins teams haven't been built like that around when they've been, when they've had the two superstars twice. Yeah, even the tail end of Shero's tenure where they had some bad depth, um, not even close to being no. there. Um, yeah, so his teammate Dreisaitl has 64 points, is the number two. Yeah. Austin Matthews is at 58 points, but he does have 34 goals. He's That um, man is a machine. Love Austin Matthews. Um, he's leading the league in goals by eight. That's impressive Jesus given Christ. how uh, short the season is. They're not going to catch him. And that's actually Miko Rantanen. Good for him. At 26 goals. Wow. That's... Brad Marchand up there with 25. Ovi has 24. McDavid at 25. So... Not bad. Not bad at all. Let's see. Yeah, I can't see an argument for it to be anybody else. It shouldn't be. I think, um... I think he deserves it. Um... He'll he'll probably won't be his last one. I just wish Sid didn't get cheap shotted by Steckel and and get MV. <laughs> Sid only has two. He should have like five. Yeah. I hope Steckel doesn't sleep well. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Fuck him. That was a cheap <laughs> shot. It was. So I am not taking the field. I am certainly not taking Patrick Kane. And, uh, Connor, pick up your trophy at the end of the year. Not the cup, though. You're not getting that. <laughs> yeah. And lastly, Dean Gething. At Dean Gething. Is this six-man decor better than the 2016 and or 17? Definitely better than 17, because Chris Letang wasn't a part of it. Yeah. And that top pairing uh, survived, but, you know, Dumoulin had his hands full with Hainsey as a partner. That sounds so funny that you're talking about his teammate. <laughs> it's like he didn't have his hands full with Ovechkin. It was he had his hands full with the guy that he's playing next to. And Daly and Mata weren't playing their best brand of hockey the 2017 run. I don't even remember who was the other 
What was the other pairing? I can't remember. The bonus, the bonus of this group of six compared to the seventeen is the Latang and Doodlin factor in that it makes the top pair so much better and you can lean on them so much more if required that the CC Matheson pairing can be on the ice a lot less if required. Correct. So you can be far more oh. selective in the third in the third period. I should be ashamed of myself for not remembering. Who, Ian, who Ian Cole it? and Justin Schultz. Ah. That's shameful. The guy that got shed on on the way out the door. It's shameful of me to not remember that. Poor guy. Should boot me off the podcast for forgetting that. Oh, come on, dude. If we're booting you for that, we're booting me for a few other things. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the 2015-16, obviously, Latang Dumlin's still great. Um, Cole Schultz in that bottom pairing, very good. And Mata uh, Daly was actually... Daly was playing the best hockey of maybe his career. Uh, that would be the year that would give this year a run. Um... I'd say it's pretty close. Given that Schultz is playing, I think Schultz is better than CC when given that bottom pairing role. Yes. And I like Ian Cole better than Mike Matheson. In what? Why? Why is that? Because they bring two very. Because he's not fucking terrible table. at defending, uh, and I know I'm not. Yeah, I know okay. I'm not big on defending but <laughs> he's steady yes mike very much so is prone to making some really costly errors and i think when you already have Latang dumoulin and especially like you got forwards that can do the heavy lifting just don't screw it up so matheson although he's putting up a lot of points lately i just worry about some of those Jack Johnson like breakdowns that he's, you know, it's always going to be a part of his fabric. I mean, that's why, you know, that contract's kind of almost untradeable. He, it's interesting. I, I like watching him play. I like seeing him with the puck when he can roll. You know what I mean? And I like him being the fourth forward in the zone. I can understand why coaching staff and general managers really, really get on board with that. But if you can't play him as a second-pairing defenseman, then you're trying to shelter him for mistakes where he's going to get stuck at his own zone and he's going to make errors. Like, I I think I would prefer him over Ian Cole, but your argument is pretty fucking solid. If he's going to be your third-pairing defenseman, you don't want him having those mental breakdowns when he's out there for, like, 12 minutes and you already got schultz providing offense yeah and and you can't yeah they don't they don't need that kind of driver from their third pair and schultz can run a power play better than either of those yeah schultz did a decent enough job when it wasn't Latang's turn to to do the power play stuff uh, Pedersen and Mata's kind of a wash. Yeah, I agree with that. Not Mata Marino, now. Mata's yeah. terrible now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, t- we're comparing 16-17, right? 15-16 <laughs> would be the one. Oh, that's right, yeah. Um, and then Marino and Daly. 
Well, Marino hasn't. He's a tough one. I think Matheson dragged him down, but Marino's not. I have nothing against Marino. I, I'm just trying to pick my own brain in the moment on how I would compare him to Daly. I guess. It's interesting. Yeah, Daly's they're kind of opposite. They're both good skaters. Yeah. Daly, kind of a little bit in the Matheson mold. Yep. Without the like huge uh, doofus errors. But John's a better defender. Doesn't add really a ton of offense. You know what's been weird with Marino this year? It feels like everything that could go right for him went right last year. This year, it's like every unlucky bounce, uh, every time something's got tipped, or it, everything's gone the other way for him this year. And I, I think what's impressed me about him is that he hasn't let it crush him. As in, he hasn't gone into a complete shell where it's get to the red line and chip it in. He still tried to maintain possession. He still tried to carry the puck, and he still tried to pass the puck in to the offensive zone. And he doesn't just throw it out of the defensive zone off the glass all the time. He's and a good I'm player. Like, I have no. Um, I was just yeah. trying to make the direct comparison. No, no, you're absolutely right because he had a, but he had a real tough start to the year. And you're right. The Matheson decision might have been a, a large portion of that, but. He's, he's not a total tire fire now that he was at the start of the year. So I want to tip my hat to him in that aspect because it could have gone south real quick for him at his age, and he didn't let it. Here's my final verdict. I think this current version of defenseman is a push with the 2015-16, and the current version is definitely better than 16-17 just because Chris Letang, obviously. <laughs> yeah. It does make a big And Mata and Daly weren't good the next year anyways. So So does that leave you pretty confident that they can win it? Because it does for me. Um, I'm confident that they have all the potential in the world to get through the division. It depends yeah. on who they draw. They could get Colorado... They could get Tampa, they could get Carolina, they could get Vegas, they could get, you name it. Like, there's a lot of good teams out there. Yeah. Notice I didn't yeah. mention any Canadian ones. Yeah. So the, the, the one I the one I would um, want, even though it would, I think, be the biggest threat, would be Toronto. Would love to see it. I think it would just be cool to see Toronto make... I think I've said this before on the podcast. They either need to flame out in the first round and just watch the whole city of Toronto explode. I would see it from across Lake Ontario. <laughs> That's exactly right. Or I need to get into the Stanley Cup finals. They need to get that far. I don't want a second round... They have no excuse you know, not to get out of the Canadian portion of things. Yes, yeah, they should be in the they should be in the conference finals or whatever we want to call it finals. They should be there. I hope they are. I like a lot of their players and I as much as McDavid and Dreisaitl are awesome, I don't want to watch the Oilers. Don't give a shit about the Canadians. And the Jets are just being held together by Hellebuck. <laughs> yeah, that's true. 
so that wouldn't be a lot of fun to watch it, it just yes i mean this is almost a free pass here for toronto if they don't get that far there's something's gone wrong Because they'll go back to the traditional divisions next year, right? Is that if they even decided on things along those lines? I know they've sort of given a, a October twelve tentative start date. I haven't really paid much attention to it. I would think so. Like, what? Yeah. What are you going to have a Canadian division again? Watch the Canadians try for it. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that should probably wrap us up, hey? Yeah, we're out of questions and um, very much appreciated uh, sending them our way. And the only thing I'll end with is Pittsburgh got to beat up on some lower teams and did, and that's why they're pretty much guaranteed for the playoffs. But after the Devils game tomorrow, they will have Boston for two, Washington for two. So the easy street's done with, and, you know, hopefully they start to get bodies back and we can really start to get a better understanding of kind of who they are heading into the playoffs. So it'll be really interesting to see how those games shake out. Those Boston Caps games will pretty much determine, I think, where they end up. They'll either end up fourth or second I think because they've got Philly and, and Buffalo after that pair of games against both of those teams and then the season's done they could end up in first they they could but like if they if they ran the table on those games on the Boston and Washington games they're like all of them are four point games so that's the and if they if they win two against Boston but lose two to the Capitals it's probably not too bad if they lose two to the to Boston and then win the ones against the Caps, then that whole jumble gets even tighter. <laughs> it's up there, so we probably won't know until the very end of the end of the season with that division. Some of the others feel a little more set. I don't care where they are; just don't get Boston. Well, you're gonna have to care then. Well, like touche. <laughs> I'm sorry, touche. I'm being a dick. We know that. <laughs> All right, that'll do. We will see you next time, and thank you for listening. See you, guys.